Natasha and I serve on the leadership board of Baptist Women in Ministry, and this week Baptist Women in Ministry is celebrating 40 years of existence here in Louisville. Several from around the country are coming to gather at Broadway Baptist Church. Yes, that's just something to celebrate. We are honoring the founding mothers of the movement some 40 years ago. And Natasha was coming down from St. Louis. I said, hey, you want to come a day early and preach at Richwood? So here she is. Um, I am pleased to introduce you to her. She currently serves as a minister of discipleship at Central Baptist Church uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. So welcome, Reverend Natasha. Well, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Ridgewood, I am so excited to be with you this morning. Um, I'm just, I'm ecstatic to be able to be here, to be here with my friend Molly, to be with all of you, and to be celebrating uh, Baptist Women in Ministry, celebrating 40 years. Um, you guys, you guys know that sometimes women in ministry kind of have it a little harder than men. I'm not going to, I'm not here to preach about that, but this is just, just a fact. And so I'm excited that we have something to celebrate. Amen. Um, also, I bring you greetings on behalf of my pastor, Anthony L. Riley, and the entire congregation and disciples at Central Baptist Church, where we are making disciples and transforming lives. Um, they are it's, it's funny. I love my congregation. They're like, okay, we're going to watch your, our service, and then we're going to watch your service. So, like, I love my people. Um, also, you probably have figured this out about me, but if you haven't, um, I am black. So I grew up in a black church. I, I grew up in a black church, and we do this thing called call and response. And so if you're open, we can do this kind of holy experiment this morning, if you're okay with that. So like if I say something you like, you can say amen. We can try that. Just, just, just say amen. I'll just amen. See, there you go. You got it. And then if, you, if I say something you don't like, tell Molly on Tuesday. <laughs> when, I, when I'm gone, then that, that can work. And so um, just, just some instructions for today. All right. <laughs> Now that we have all of that out the way, let's go ahead into our sermon. It will be coming out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. And it says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. For the time that is ours, I would like to tag this text, tearing down the walls, tearing down the walls. There are many types of walls. Some walls are physical. One of the seven wonders of the world is the Great Wall of China. For all of its beauty and majesty, it is a stone wall built for the purpose of restricting movement. It's, it's a form of border control. It keeps people out you don't want to let in. That's a physical wall. Some walls are mental. Perhaps you feel like your back's 
against the wall. You are a parent, a little league coach, a friend, a mentor, an unofficial chauffeur because unlike Uber, your kids do not pay or tip or most of the time even say thank you when you drive them around. But some, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> but somehow buried under all the roles, you're supposed to be you. And you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's a mental wall. Some walls are emotional. You enter into a relationship, but you can't get vulnerable. You can't open up. You can't trust. You have a wall up. You might not realize it, but you are actually pushing people away that want to get close to you because you have an emotional wall. And yes, some walls are spiritual. You can pray for others, but you can't seem to pray for yourself. You're getting a wall of silence. You pray, you fast, you seek, but it's like there's a barrier keeping you from hearing God. That's a spiritual wall. Well, whether there is a physical wall stopping you, a mental wall overwhelming you, an emotional wall depressing you, or a spiritual wall disconnecting you, the Apostle Paul says there is good news this morning. The Bible says that Jesus tore down the walls. As we dive into the text, Paul gently but so, not so gently reminds the church at Ephesus that you weren't always saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. In verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once not all that long ago far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. It seems that the church of Ephesus has had a bit of a memory lapse. I believe they suffered from a little-known condition called spiritually convenient amnesia. This horrid condition often affects Christians after becoming believers. It can lay dormant for years and has the ability to pop up, especially under stressful situations. How do you know if you have experienced spiritually convenient amnesia? How do you know if you have the symptoms? I'm so glad you asked. Symptom number one, convincing yourself you have spiritually arrived. One of the dangers that we have is that there are some people who believe they no longer need devotional time with the Lord. It's when you have reached your spiritual mountaintop, believing that you've already arrived, often prompted by prestigious new titles and a lack of accountability. These spiritual titles can sometimes include deacons or ministry leaders and even sometimes reverend. These once-devoted disciples no longer intentionally seek spiritual growth because their attention is no longer on personal growth. They tend to focus on everybody else. Which leads me to symptom number two, lording over others. We say we are building the kingdom, but for some of us, we want to wear the crown. Lording over others isn't about guiding others or leading others or discipling or even disciplining. Lording over others is simply about gaining power and control for the sake of power and control and maintaining a false appearance. Which brings me to the last symptom of spiritually convenient amnesia. Selectively forgetting how you behaved before and for many of us after we met Christ. I know you want people to believe that you've always had it together, that you have always been reading your Bible, that you always made wise and sound spiritual decisions, but the results are in. And we've determined that is a lie. 
You didn't always have scriptures memorized. You did not always attend church on Sunday morning. You too were far off from Christ. And the issue is with conveniently acting like your shady, suspect, questionable past doesn't exist is that it blocks others from knowing that God can deliver, that God is a savior, that God is a healer, that God is a restorer, that God can and will transform your life. You don't need to hide from your, your past because Jesus tore down the walls of impersonation. The Bible says that they conquered by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Whoever told you that God wants you to fake it till you make it, lied. Why would God need you to put on a mask and fraudulently pretend like he hasn't brought you a mighty long way? We have to be real with ourselves. We have to be authentic with other people. You might not be able to tell it all, but you ought to be able to tell somebody something the Lord has done for you. Though we were once far off, God has brought us near and God has engrafted us into the family of God. Jesus tore down the walls of impersonation. You don't have to fake it till you make it. As we dive back in this text, Paul also says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Last year, I had the privilege to go to the Holy Land with members of my congregation. And as we arrived at the top of the city on a hill, we could overlook the entire city of Jerusalem. The city walls are majestic. And as I took a minute, I just took a breath in of holy reverence, beginning to just think through what happened there 2,000 years ago inside the walls. In, in Ephesians 2, the wall of hostility Paul references isn't figurative. The Jews and the Gentiles who traveled to Jerusalem knew the rules of navigating not just the city wall, but the many walls inside the temple. Anyone could freely walk on the outer courts. But the middle wall was a physical and spiritual wall meant to restrict foreigners, like the Ephesians, from getting access to God for fear that they would desecrate or contaminate the temple. We as Christians would never do something like restrict people's access to the church. Mm -hmm. But there's good news today. While the city wall was still, while the city wall still remains in Jerusalem, the middle wall is gone. The Bible says that the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Jesus tore down the walls of separation, granting us access. When I was little, I used to love to play. And one of my favorite games was turning random objects throughout the house into instruments. Pots, instruments, pans, instruments, keys. Keys became instruments. And I would borrow my mother and dad's keys to, you know, play games. And on occasion, they would have to search for them. Um, but I thought, this is the best use that you could have. I mean, how much more fun could you have playing with pots, pans, and keys? I mean, 
keys jingle. They jangle. They make really great noise. As a kid, keys are perfect. And like many of us today, we kind of like to play with keys. We like to have things in our hands that give us access to things, but we don't fully use them. I mean, jingling and jangling is great, but that is not the purpose of a key. Keys are to give you access to something. But if you don't walk through the door, what is the purpose of having the key? Jesus tore down the walls of separation, giving us access to God. Access sometimes we don't take advantage of, but according to the Bible, Jews or Greeks, males or female, rich or poor, black or white, degreed or skilled laborer, we're all welcomed at the table. We all have access to God. And there's nothing, not our money, our degrees, our network, that can separate us because Jesus tore down the walls of separation. And nothing restricts our access to Christ. But not only did Jesus tear down the walls of impersonation, not only did Jesus tear down the walls of separation, he tore down the walls of seclusion. Before Christ, Gentiles were historically excluded from living in communities with Jews. They were perceived as undesired, unfit, unrighteous. There was no true fellowship, peace, or harmony between Jews and Gentiles. There was a wall of seclusion. They were stuck on the outside, but Jesus tore down the walls. Several years ago, when I lived in Atlanta, on a Friday night, we went out the weekend of the Super Bowl. We were hosting the Super Bowl in Atlanta, and I decided to hang out with my aunt. So we got dressed in several layers of clothes, because by this time it was rather chilly outside, and I found some church folks that happened to meet up right about a mile from my house. We were trying to prevent sex trafficking, because when the Super Bowl comes into town, that increases. Mm -hmm. Fun fact. As we handed out hot cups of coffee, a lady passed by, and we said, how are you doing? And she said, fine. But as tears began to fall down her face, we realized she was not all right. She told us that she was a single mother of three children, and that she was grateful that her oldest two children had successfully matriculated through college. But she still had one eight-year-old daughter at home, and she could not let her play outside. She couldn't trust anyone around her. She, couldn't, she had no choice but to keep her daughter close. She said, times are hard. But she decided that the only way she could make it with her daughter is to keep her exceptionally close to her. It almost seemed weird for a second. She said, I walk my daughter to and from school, and then I take her, and then I go to work and then I'll immediately come back to get her. I never let her spend time with anyone else. She said, but the good news is now I have an honest job. She admitted that at one time, that was not her story. She used to have to sell her body to put food on the table for her children. But she said that she was thankful that God brought her through that. And she confessed that she, as much as she could, she had paid, tried to pay her electric bill this month but she was $20 short, so they cut off her power. She confessed that the people around her, her community, encouraged her to take a walk. 
That was their way of saying that they could, she could, you know, um, go into her old form of employment. Let's say it that way. With tears down her eyes, she expressed, I don't have any friends. And I really appreciate you guys just taking the time to listen to me. But every time I go to the church, people judge me. They judge the way I look. They judge me for my past. I know people in the church don't want me there. And as a Christian and as a minister of the gospel, it broke my heart. I don't know what church this woman had been to, but she was convinced there was no way she belonged in any of them. So we prayed with her, and I told her that we would put the $20 back on her electric bill so she could have her electric on. So I went to do that, and as I went to the grocery store up the street, I was talking with another minister about how this is possible, how it's possible that people believe that there is no church that they could ever enter, that the church should be the easiest place to make friends. And that's when something weird happened. The guy in front of us, who was just listening in on our conversation, said, you got friends at church? I was like, yeah, we have friends at church. He said, I'd go to church if I could make friends. I need people. I didn't know that we could get that at church. What an indictment. Everyone should feel welcomed in the kingdom of God. Everyone should feel welcomed in the church. Jesus tore down the walls of impersonation. Jesus tore down the walls of separation. Jesus tore down the walls of seclusion, inviting us into a community, inviting us into relationships, inviting us into friendships, and yet some of us have decided to be Pharisees in an attempt to protect the church. We have become bent on building back the walls. Why can't we wear jeans or should we have to wear suits? Walls of traditions. What side of town do you live on? What college did you go to? And we're not asking out of genuine curiosity. We're asking out of judgment. Walls of social class. Tear down the walls. A person's value in the kingdom of God shouldn't be tied to their wallet. It isn't, it's, it's, it's equal in, it's not equal in giving, but it's equal in sacrifice. We really don't have to pay attention to what our neighbors are giving. That's a financial wall. We need to tear down the walls. Walls of impersonation. Tear down the walls. Walls of separation. Tear down the walls. Walls of seclusion. Tear down the walls. Walls of tradition. Tear down the walls. Walls of social class. Tear down the walls. If you had 24 hours left to live your life, what would you do? How would you spend your time? Jesus, in his last 24 hours, decided to wash feet. And to extend a table, and extend a seat at a table. He extended a seat at the table for, for doubters. He extended a seat at the table for deniers. He extended a seat at the table for betrayers. In other words, he extended a seat at the table for you and for me. Yeah. Amen. Be like Jesus. 
Extend a seat at the table to the marginalized. Extend a cup to the brokenhearted. Extend a plate to the hungry. Tear down the walls. Amen. <laughs>